Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Josh Gonzalez. It's a pleasure to be here this morning, a privilege, an honor to be able to share the Word of God with you. Um, that song that we just heard, it was beautiful, amen? amen? Beautiful song, Sinner, I'm a Sinner Saved by Grace. And that's actually, I don't know if they did that on purpose, but um, that's actually the title of the message today is Saved by Grace. Um, and the sister asked me when I, when I first came, um, what was the title of the sermon? So I don't know if uh, you, that was done on purpose, but if it wasn't, um, I wouldn't be surprised because God works in mysterious ways like that. So let's have a word of prayer, and we're going to get right into the message this morning. Father in heaven, Lord, we come before you today, Lord, on your holy Sabbath day to hear your word, Lord. Father, Lord, we, we are sinners, Lord, and we're in need of your grace, Lord. And Father, we pray as we open up your word this morning that your word speaks straight to our hearts that your Holy Spirit may come into our hearts, into our minds, that we may be able to understand your word, Father, Lord, and apply these things to our lives. And Father, I ask, Lord, that you fill me with your spirit, Lord, as there is no good thing in me, Father, and I need you, Father, to preach this message this morning. So, Lord, we leave this service in your hands. We pray and we ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. The message that I'm going to share with you this morning has two names. Saved by grace. And I also call it a little man with a big hope. Little man with a big hope. When I say the words a little man, which character in the Bible comes to mind? Who, sorry? Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus. Who knows the song? How does the song go? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Right? When I grew up, um, just to let everybody know, I, I, I wasn't raised a Seventh-day Adventist. I grew up in a Baptist church. And by God's grace, about just over two years ago, I became a baptized member of this church. But um, I remember even in Sunday school, I uh, remember used to sing, singing this song, and it was one of my favorite songs. And now uh, my daughter, who's running around here somewhere in the back, oh, there she is, she's just right there. She, um, her name's Julia, she's four years old, and she loves the song of Zacchaeus. And we actually have a DVD at home that has all of these children's Christian songs. And the first song of the DVD is a Zacchaeus song. And, and ever since she was little, whenever she wanted to hear that DVD, she'd always say, Daddy, can you put on Zacchaeus? And that meant that she wanted to hear the Christian song. So we love that song. And, and I've read the story of Zacchaeus many times before in the past. And, and it wasn't until I actually started to dig deep into the story of Zacchaeus, I, I realized that there are many, many valuable and important lessons to be found in that story. And by the way, I want to tell everybody here this morning that you shouldn't read your Bibles. Nobody here should read their Bible. Are you look, are you, some of you are looking at me a little bit confused. What is the preacher saying? You shouldn't read your Bibles, and I mean that. 
What you should do is you should study your Bible. There's a difference. When you just read something, you just read it and you go on to the next paragraph and to the next chapter and you miss important lessons that are found in those chapters that you would find if you, instead of reading your Bible, you would actually take time to study the Bible. You know that I've heard two-hour sermons preached on just one verse in the Bible. The Bible is so deep and it's a book that needs to be studied, not just read. Amen? So we agree we shouldn't read our Bibles? We should? Study our Bibles. Amen. So this morning we're going to study Luke chapter 19. The story of Zacchaeus. Now we'll start right from the start. The Bible says in Luke 19 chapter 1, it says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now, the city of Jericho is a very important city in Scripture. I actually know this story very well because there was a great man who went and won the, the battle at the city of Jericho. Who was that man? It's another song. Joshua. And as you guys might have heard this morning that Joshua is my name. So I actually love the story of Joshua. And I don't think it's a coincidence that my father named me Joshua. But um, I know the story of, of the Joshua and the battle of Jericho very well. And it's a very important city especially through that story that we find in the Old Testament. But now going to the New Testament in the time of Jesus, Jericho is still a very, very important place. Now, for those who don't know, the city of Jericho was actually right in the middle of a desert. Smack bang in the middle of the desert. And do you know what the nickname for the city of Jericho was? It was actually called the city of palm trees. Now, that's a pretty odd name for a city that's found right in the middle of the desert, isn't it? Now, when I say palm trees, what do you think of? The islands, right? You think of back home, the beautiful palm trees. It's a tropical oasis. That's what comes to my mind. But this is interesting that right in the middle of a desert, we have this city called Jericho, which is also called the city of palm trees. And what it actually was, was literally an oasis in the middle of the desert. You see, it was a city that had very fertile green lands. You were able to grow many things. You probably would even be able to grow taro if you tried. You could grow many things in the city of Jericho. Very fertile, lots of water. But not only that, it was also known as the most important city in the Jordan Valley and it had the strongest fortress in the land of Canaan. So these things make it very important, but also the fact that because it was in the middle of the desert, because it was an oasis in the middle of the desert, if you were traveling from north to south, east to west, or vice versa, Jericho was a city that you had to stop for a while to, to have a rest, you know, to refuel, which meant that there was a lot of traffic that went through the city of Jericho, which also meant that it was a great place for you to um, have a business. Because there'll be a lot of people that'll come through there, right? A lot of tourists. Today, you know that if you're going to run a business, you want to have a business in a place where you will get a lot of traffic, right? Jericho was exactly that place. And here the Bible says that Jesus, right in the middle of his ministry, enters through the city of Jericho. And it says in verse 2, it says, Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Now, what kind of a job did Zacchaeus have? He wasn't just a tax collector, he was a 
chief tax collector means he was in charge he was the boss now i'm reading from the new king james version but if you have the old king james version the word there for tax collectors is publicans right zacchaeus was a chief publican now one of the things that's interesting is when you read the new testament jesus would would mingle with a lot of publicans and every time he would be with the tax collectors what would the people say that that the type of people that they were that jesus was hanging out with They'd always say, look at this man, he he hangs around sinners. The tax collectors, the people would call them sinners. What was so bad about a tax collector? What was so bad about being a publican in this time? You see, the thing about the tax collectors was that during the time of Jesus' ministry, there was a specific nation that was occupying the land, that was in control. Who was it? Rome, right? The Romans were in control. And you know what the Romans actually did? The Romans would come, they would establish their empire, they would establish their rule and their government over the land. And what they would do, like any government does, it happens to us here in Australia, it happens, I'm I'm pretty sure, in the Cook Islands, because it happens all over the world, that the government collects something off the people, which is tax. So here the Romans wanted to collect tax off the Jewish people, but the Romans themselves didn't want to be the ones to collect that tax. So what they would do is they would offer jobs and they would say, look, we're hiring people to be tax collectors. So we want some Jews to help us collect the tax from the Jewish people. So they would find some. And here in the the story of... uh, of of Luke 19 in the city of Jericho the man that was appointed to collect the tax and to look after all the other tax collectors was Zacchaeus so what the Romans would actually do and I don't know what the exact amount was in Jericho but they would do something like this they would say look Zacchaeus we want to hire you to collect taxes for us and we will pay you a wage to collect taxes for us so what we want from you Zacchaeus is every single month at the end of the month we want you to give us ten thousand dollars tax from the people in the city of Jericho that's what we want that's what we need at the end of the month we expect ten thousand dollars of tax money from the people of Jericho but check this out Zacchaeus This is what we're going to do for you. Just so you don't think we're such bad people, anything you collect above $10,000, you can keep. So if you have a good month and you go out there and you put a lot of pressure on the people and you collect extra tax and you end up with $15,000 at the end of the month, you give us the 10 that belongs to us, but you get to keep five. So what do you think that made the tax collectors do? They started rorting their own people, right? They started doing anything they could to get an extra dollar. They started stealing from their own people. And in sense, in a sense, the people looked at the tax collectors as traitors. These people robbed their own people. Imagine that, right? You have a community and you have somebody who is robbing your own people. It's bad enough when an outsider robs you, but when your own people does it? That's what they looked, that's why they looked at the tax collectors with disgust. They looked at them as scumbags. These guys are sinners. Why is Jesus bothering with these people? The Bible tells us Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Verse 3 says, And he sought to see who Jesus was, 
but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. Here the Bible tells us, obviously, that Zacchaeus was a little man. And, you know, we have a little joke. Um, as you guys may know, um, my name is Joshua Gonzalez. Um, my last name is a Spanish name. I'm, I'm a Latino background. I'm a Hispanic. And in our culture, Hispanic people tend to be quite short. So we always joke thinking, you know, Zacchaeus maybe was a Latino, you know, because he was a little guy. It's very rare that you see a tall Hispanic person. And here the Bible tells us that Zacchaeus was short, but most importantly, the Bible says he sought to see who Jesus was. Now, what kind of a man was Zacchaeus? The Bible said in verse 2, Zacchaeus was a rich man. So let's have, a, let's have a think about what that would mean in today's sense. In today's sense, Zacchaeus would be a man that has a good job. A man that, that and, and a good job doesn't mean an ethical job. What I mean by a good job is a good job that pays well, right? Zacchaeus would have had a good job in the worldly sense. Zacchaeus would have had his big two-story house with his three-car garage that's filled with the, the latest model of, of Mercedes-Benz and the Porsches and a big pool in the backyard and, and a, ma a massive widescreen TV in the lounge room and all the latest gadgets and gizmos that technology gives us. And that's the kind of lifestyle Zacchaeus would have been living. He would have lived a life in a sense, you know, he probably had a lot of money in his savings account. Now, the unfortunate thing is that when humans get to a position like that, they tend to forget about God. They think they don't need God, right? I've got everything I need. I take care of myself. I provide for my family, right? I've got so much money in my savings account. What do I need God for? And the majority of tax collectors were specifically these type of people that had no spiritual life. And when the people saw them, they saw that these guys didn't even come to church on Sabbath. They're out in the world, they're partying it up, they're spending all this money, they're robbing from their people, and the people would look at them and like, these guys are scumbag sinners. They don't even care about God. So what was it that was making Zacchaeus want to see Jesus? What would make somebody who is so well off in the worldly sense want to seek Jesus Christ? You know, the answer we find, keep your finger in Luke 19 and turn back a few chapters and we're going to go to Luke chapter 3. Go to the book of Luke chapter 3. In Luke chapter 3, we find the story of a man, another man by the name of John the Baptist. Who was John the Baptist? What did he do? He was a preacher, right? Was he any kind of preacher though? He was a specific preacher. He had a specific message. He was called by God to prepare the people for the first coming of Jesus Christ. Does that sound familiar to you, Seventh-day Adventists? Because do you know that we have a specific message also? And the Lord has called us to prepare the people for Jesus' second coming. But here we have Zacchaeus... Um, sorry, we have John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3, who is a man that God has called to prepare the people. And here we find him right in the middle of a sermon, preaching to the people. And we'll start at verse 7. Look what the Bible says. He says, Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers! 
Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Now what are the words that John the Baptist said to the congregation that day? He says, Brood of vipers! That's some very strong words. Imagine the preacher comes here on Sabbath and says, You brood of vipers! You all need to repent. How would you feel? Some of you might end up going to the, the conference and maybe complaining about the preacher, right? That's some strong words. But why is John the Baptist saying this to the people? The answer is in verse 8, where he says that you say we have Abraham as our father. And he says, I say to you, God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. What the problem was with the children of Israel in that day is something that happens today in the church also. Is that they thought that just because they were a member of the church, just because they belonged, just because they were born into the church, that they were fine. We have Abraham as our father. We're all good. We, we can do what we want. You know, we, we can continue to watch what we want to watch on TV. We can listen to whatever we want on the radio. We can eat whatever we want. We don't care about the health message. We don't care about anything because we're members of the church. We're baptized. We're okay. And the unfortunate truth is that today many in the church have come under the same deception. I remember this reminds me of the book of John in chapter 3. Jesus talks to a man called Nicodemus. The Bible says that Nicodemus was a, a Pharisee. He was a leader in the church. Now, let's, let's get something straight here with regards to the story of Nicodemus. Was Nicodemus a member of the church? Yes, he was. Was Nicodemus active in the church? He was. He was a leader. Did Nicodemus know who Jesus was? Of course he did. Didn't he say, well, but nobody can do these things that you do, Jesus, unless they are sent from God? Nicodemus could recognize who Jesus was. Now, he was a member of the church. He was active. He'd do things. He'd participate in the church. He was a leader. He knew who Jesus was. Yet, was that enough to save Nicodemus? It wasn't, right? Because what did Jesus say to Nicodemus? He said, Nicodemus, if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. And that's the same thing that goes for every single one of us. Whether you are a first-generation Adventist, whether you are a fifth-generation Adventist, it does not matter. Unless we are born again and we have that born-again experience, Jesus says we cannot, we will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be born again, brothers and sisters? The Bible says that when we are born again, we, we become a, a new creation. It says that all things have passed away. It means that the things that we did, that we knew were contrary to the law of God, we don't do those things anymore. Amen? By God's grace, we have become changed into His image. We have died to self. We have surrendered everything to Christ. And we have allowed Him to fill our hearts with the Holy Spirit and we become a new creation. That's what it means to be born again. And this was the issue right here that John was dealing with the people in a time. But look what it says now in verse 9. It says, and, now, and, now, and even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
So the people start getting convicted at this point. They start going, wow, what, what is this guy saying? We, we thought we were fine. We, we thought because we're members of the church, everything's okay. But, but Johnny's saying that that's not the case. So look what they start saying in verse 10. He says, so the people asked him saying, what shall we do then? John, if, if what you're saying is true, then, then what do we do? Man, like I'm messed up here. I realize that I'm, I'm, I'm not saved. What do we do, John? He says in verse 11, he answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give who, him to ha who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Common sense, right? Is this what every Christian should do? If you have enough clothes and your neighbor is freezing, if you have two coats, give him one. Why keep it to yourself while your neighbor freezes? That's not loving your neighbor as yourself, is it? What about food? If you have plenty of food at home and your neighbor is starving, give him some food. How can you let your neighbor starve and then come to church on Sabbath and call yourself a Christian? This was what was happening with these people. They were not converted. And they're realizing that's why they're asking John, what do we do? And John is telling them, but look who comes now. In verse 12 of Luke chapter 3, the Bible says, Then who came to John? Who? Tax collectors, publicans. Is this not what Zacchaeus was? Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Now the tax collectors were convicted by the, the sermon of John, and they say, oh, They also came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? As tax collectors, what do we do? Look what John says. And he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. In other words, tax collectors, if you want to be saved, you've got to stop robbing your people. You've got to stop collecting more than what's appointed to you. If you get told by the Romans $10,000 at the end of the month, then just get $10,000. Don't go out of your way to rob your people. Collect no more, John said, specifically than what is appointed to you. Now, we'll go back to Luke 19. And just so we know, and I only found this out not long ago while I was studying, that Ellen White says that Zacchaeus actually had heard of what John the Baptist had preached that day. And he had heard the message and he had heard that, and he knew in his heart that what he was doing was wrong. He knew in his heart that he was committing sin. He still tried to, to call himself a, a member of the church. And, and if people would ask him, he'd say, yeah, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. And if he has to fill out a form, you know, for something, and they ask, what religion are you, Seventh-day Adventist? But I'm sinning. I know that what I'm doing is wrong. I'm stealing from my own people. And this started to weigh down in the heart and in the mind of Zacchaeus. It started to bother him. It started to mess with his head. And this is why the Bible tells us in Luke 19 that he sought to see who Jesus was. Because there was something about the way that he was living that made him want to seek Jesus. Now this is so deep, brothers and sisters, because how many of us, when we fall into sin, instead of wanting to seek Jesus, we run away from Jesus. We try to hide from Jesus. We try to not come to church. Brothers and sisters, if you fall or if you know that in your heart you are not living the right way, don't run away from Jesus. Seek Jesus because He is the only one who can help you. Amen? 
He's the only one. And Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. Not only did he know what John preached that day, but also he had heard that one of Jesus' disciples was a man by the name of Matthew, who used to be a tax collector also. He had heard the testimony about this man called Matthew who used to be a sinner, who used to steal and rob from his own people, yet this man, Jesus, forgave his sins and changed his life. And when he saw and he had heard about Matthew, it gave him hope. It gave him inspiration. And that's why I I, I always encourage everybody, if, if Jesus Christ has changed your life, share that with people. Because people need to know that there is hope. You see, a lot of you don't know me, but uh, like I mentioned before I I started preaching that I wasn't raised a Seventh-day Adventist, I was raised a Baptist, and I was a a very lukewarm Baptist at best, but but there was a time in my life where, and and, and I say this because this is an evidence and a testimony to the power of God to change lives, that there was a point in my life where I used to be an alcoholic, where I used to be addicted to marijuana, where I used to be a drug dealer, where I used to be in a gang where I used to be addicted to pornography, where I used to go and run the streets and then I would also do rap music and go every weekend to the clubs and perform and get drunk and get high. And and that was my life and I was lost and and, and, and I almost lost my wife and I almost lost my family. And when I was down in the depths and right at the bottom of where I could ever be, Jesus Christ reached out to me, told me he loved me and he changed my life. If you are going through sin, you need to know this morning that you have hope. And that hope is found in Jesus Christ. And Zacchaeus knew this because the story of Matthew had encouraged him to to approach Jesus Christ. And and that's why we need to share our testimony and and, and listen to others' testimonies to always know that it doesn't matter how far deep into sin you go. Jesus Christ is able and willing to save you if you ask him. The Bible says that in verse 4, because he was so short and and he couldn't get to Jesus, in verse 3 it says, uh, because of the crowd, verse 4 says that he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was going to pass that way. So he just pictures Zacchaeus here. He comes and and there's a huge crowd, right? And he's trying to, have you ever seen the little man trying to jump over the crowd? I, I can't see, I'm trying to jump, right? And he sees, man, I've got no chance of seeing Jesus here. But he sees that it looks like Jesus is headed down that road. So he goes and he sees a tree, a big sycamore tree further down. He says, look, that's perfect. He runs to the tree. He climbs up into the tree because he knows that Jesus Christ is going to walk that way. And what happens next is beautiful, brothers and sisters. Read with me verse 5 of Luke 19. He says, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Now let's see what just happened here, brothers and sisters. This is so beautiful. Zacchaeus is that little man with a big hope. He, He knows that he's a sinner. He knows that he's messed up. He knows that he's not living the right way. But he hears that there's this man called Jesus that can possibly help him. So he has this hope that if he goes and sees him, something might happen. But he has trouble getting to Jesus. So he goes out of his way to put himself in a position where Jesus Christ will walk right past him. But he is this sinner, Zacchaeus the sinner. And when Jesus Christ walks right past there, 
he stops right under the tree and he looks up and he says Zacchaeus my son oh Zacchaeus if only you knew how much I loved you Zacchaeus my son come down because today Zacchaeus I must stay at your house he is saying Zacchaeus I know what you're doing, Zacchaeus, and I know how much the sin is weighing upon your heart, Zacchaeus, but I also know that you want to change, Zacchaeus, and I know that you are making an effort to come to me, Zacchaeus, and today I am letting you know, Zacchaeus, that I accept you just as you are, Zacchaeus. Come down. Come to me, Zacchaeus. I will stay at your house. It reminds me of Revelation where it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone open, what does he promise to do? To come in, to dine with them. He knew that Zacchaeus was, was, was wanting to answer that door, that Zacchaeus had heard the knock. Brothers and sisters, if you hear Jesus knocking at your heart today, open the door. He will come in. He did this with Zacchaeus, and look what happened to Zacchaeus. Verse 6, the Bible says that, So he, Zacchaeus, made haste and came down and received him how? Joyfully. Oh, the joy that must have filled Zacchaeus' heart at that moment to know that him, the sinner, that Jesus accepted him just as he was. That he didn't need to, to be perfect in order to come to God. Brothers and sisters, you can never be good enough to come to Jesus. There is nothing that you can ever do that will make you or, or, or give you the opportunity to pay or buy your salvation. You cannot change yourself only Jesus can do that. You are to come to Christ just as you are and let Him change you because Jesus takes you and accepts you as you are. But praise God, He doesn't leave you as you are. He wants to change your life. Amen? And here Zacchaeus realized this, this amazing grace that the God of heaven come down to earth as a human would even, even not just look at Him, not just speak to him, but come to his house. That is Jesus showing him how much he loves him. That is Jesus showing Zacchaeus how much Zacchaeus means to him. This is Jesus showing you this morning how much you mean to him. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. If you make a step, you take a step. And don't ever forget this. If you take a step towards God, he will run towards you. This reminds me of the story of the prodigal son. How did the father react when the son came back? Was the father angry? Was the father mad? Of course not. He was joyful. And Zacchaeus saw the father in his true character. Because, brothers and sisters, the, the great controversy that is going on in the world, you know that Satan is going out of his way to misrepresent the character of God. The true character of God. He wants us to believe that God is, is cruel. That God is a tyrant. That God wants to punish us. That he wants to condemn us. But when we read the Bible, we find out what Zacchaeus found out that day. That the true character of God is that God is a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He's a God who is long-suffering and full of grace. And this made Zacchaeus come and run to God and, and receive him joyfully. And look what happens in verse 7. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. What's this Jesus doing with this scumbag tax collector? 
You know, a lot of the people there might have even been robbed by Zacchaeus themselves. They're thinking, who is this? This guy claims to be from God. And, and look, if this man was truly a man of God, he'd be with us. The holy, the pious, the righteous. You know, too many times this happens in the church. You know, sometimes we see somebody walking in and, you know, they're not dressed the right way or they don't look the right way and, you know, they don't talk the right way and, and we're just like, who are these people? How dare you come to church dressed like that? If somebody wants to seek Jesus because they realize that they're a sinner and they don't know anything about Christ, the, the way they dress doesn't matter. Because they still want to see Jesus. Who is the one who's going to change them? Jesus Christ when he fills their heart or you when you condemn them about what they're wearing? Think about it. What's going to be more effective? What we are to do as members of the church is to draw people to God and let the Holy Spirit do the work. But our job is to take them to Jesus. Amen. That's our job. We are to take them. And here we have all of these people just... Who is this guy? But the beautiful thing was that when the devil started trying to bring Zacchaeus down and, and bring Jesus down and, and, and say all of this nonsense, Zacchaeus didn't let the devil mess with him because he had seen with his own eyes. He had experienced with his own heart what Jesus had done for him. And he knew it doesn't matter what anybody says. I know who Jesus is now. I know who God is. And look at verse 8. The Bible says, Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, in other words, if I have stolen from anyone, I return it fourfold. I give them back four times what they owe. Now understand what's happening here. Zacchaeus the thief, Zacchaeus the cheat, Zacchaeus the traitor, has an experience with Jesus and he turns around and he says, Lord, half of the money that I have, I'm going to give it to the poor who needs it. And with the other half, I'm going to use it to go and find everybody that I have wronged and I'm going to pay them back four times what I have taken from them. And then Jesus Christ says in verse 9, he says to him, today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. Now let me ask you a question is what Zacchaeus did in verse 8 of, of, of giving half of his money to the poor and using the other half to pay back those who he wronged. Was that the right thing to do? Was it the right thing to do? Yes. Is that what God would have wanted him to do? Is that what God would have wanted him to do? Of course, it was the right thing to do. Does God... Does God get pleasure when, when, we, when we turn around and we help those who are needy? When we put self aside and put others first? When we go and right the wrongs that we have made? Does that not give pleasure to God? Of course it did. And what he was doing there, it was now loving his neighbor as himself, meaning he was following the law. But the question is, is what Zacchaeus did in verse 8, and then Jesus saying, today salvation has come to this house. Did salvation come to this house because of what Zacchaeus did? Yes? No? Brothers and sisters, are we saved by works? Is what we do, can we earn our salvation? Can we do enough good deeds, give enough money to the poor to get a place in heaven? We can't, can we? 
The reason why God said today salvation has come to this house is not because of what Zacchaeus did. It's because when God knocked on the heart of Zacchaeus, on the door of Zacchaeus's heart, he opened the door and let him in. He experienced the gift of grace and Zacchaeus accepted it. We are saved by grace through faith, not by works, brothers and sisters. And it was because of that that Zacchaeus was saved. And what happens in verse 8 is a result of the fact that he has been saved. Because when we experience Jesus, when he changes our lives, when we realize how much he loves us, even though we're despicable sinners, that should stir something in our heart, right? To want to do the right thing. And when he experienced the love of Christ, it changed him. He became a new creation instantly. And now he started to do what was right. But that didn't earn him his salvation. That was just basically the result of the fact that he had already experienced salvation. Amen. You see, there's something that Zacchaeus saw when Jesus spoke to him and, and told him that I will come to your house. Zacchaeus looked at that and said, Jesus, you accept me, Jesus? Jesus, me, the, the sinner, Jesus, the, the one who, who constantly has done wrong, Jesus, the one who, who, has, who has let you down so many times, Jesus, the one who, who just is not faithful to you, Jesus, you accept me, Jesus? You, you still have love for me, Jesus? After everything I've done, knowing better, Jesus, you, you still want, want to have a relationship with me, Jesus? That's what Zacchaeus experienced. But we should be able to take that a step further. And exactly what Zacchaeus said, add on to this, when we realize what Jesus went through when he was crucified, to say, Jesus, you did that for me, Jesus? When we read the, the story of, of, of what Jesus went through in the Garden of Gethsemane, when, when he thought that he was going to be eternally separated from his father, when he caused him so much pain and anguish that the Bible says that he was sweating drops of blood, the tremendous pain that he went through to die on that cross, we should turn around and say, Jesus, you did that for me, Jesus. Even though I still keep doing what I shouldn't do, even though I still keep being unfaithful to you, Jesus, even though I keep sinning and, and, and going to where I shouldn't go and, and watching what I shouldn't watch and eating what I shouldn't eat and, and doing all these things I shouldn't do, Jesus, you still did that for me. If that doesn't, doesn't stir up something in your heart, I don't know what's wrong, brothers and sisters. That should make you want to give everything to Jesus. What Zacchaeus did that day when he said, I will give back the money and I will pay back and I will give money to the poor. That's Zacchaeus saying, Jesus, after everything you've done for me, this is the least I can do, Jesus. The least I can do. Jesus gave it all for you. The least we could do is obey what he says. Amen. And even if you become the most righteous, law-abiding Christian, you still will never, ever, ever be able to even get close to paying the debts that your sin requires. We are saved by grace. Grace, the word alone, means unmerited favor. It means something of which you do not deserve. Yet God, even though you don't deserve it, He still wants to give it to you. The Bible says that we love God because 
He first loved us, amen. Jesus says in John 14, 15, he says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Don't keep the commandments of God so that you can look good in the eyes of the church members or that you think in your mind for somehow that by doing that you're going to be saved. He said, if you love me. Do you know as Seventh-day Adventists, one of the things we get accused of a lot is that we're legalists. Oh, you guys keep the law, you're a legalist. Brothers and sisters, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. That means that if you keep the commandments of God for any other reason than the fact that you love him, that is legalism. If you know that you're keeping the commandments of God for some ulterior motive, for some selfish reason, or to look good in the eyes of the church, and that's legalism. Jesus doesn't want that fake obedience. He wants real obedience that only comes when you realize how much he's given for you, when you fall in love with him, when you realize that he loves you and that causes you to love him. And then because you love him, you want to keep his commandments. Amen. Amen. That should be the reason why we obey God. The Bible says in Luke 19 verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Brothers and sisters, if you're here this morning and you know that you're a sinner and you know that you're doing the wrong thing, you need to realize this moment that there is a man called Jesus who has come to this earth, who has died on a cross to seek and save you. He came to seek and save those who were lost. What does it mean to be lost? The Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2 that our iniquities, our sins have separated us from God. When we are living in sin, brothers and sisters, we separate ourselves from God. God never separates himself from us. We separate ourselves from him and then we become lost. And then even though we have done that, he goes out of his way to try to find you. Reminds me of the parable of the lost sheep. The shepherd went everywhere looking for his lost sheep. Jesus Christ is going out of his way to save you. In fact, let's turn for a second to the book of John, chapter 3. A verse that everybody should know off by heart, right? John chapter 3, 16. What does the Bible say? Say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent Jesus into the world so that we could have everlasting life. But look at the next verse. We always miss and forget about the next verse that is just as powerful. John 3, 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Did you catch that? God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but that through him it may be saved. Jesus, God is not out to condemn you. Jesus, God is out to save you. He is doing anything he can. He's going out of his way to save you, to let you know that he loves you, to let you know that there is hope, to let you know that there is a better life, that there is something to look forward to. That is what Jesus is doing. And what we do so many times is that when we fall into sin, instead of running to the God who promises us the salvation, who promises us the forgiveness, 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we fall, instead of running to Christ, we run away from Christ. Because the devil tells us, no, God is going to punish you. No, God is angry with you. 
God wants to condemn you, but the Bible says that God is not out to condemn. He's out to save. That is the God that we serve, brothers and sisters. That is the God that we serve. A God of love, a God of mercy, a God of grace. We have a Father in heaven. So many times I use this example, and it wasn't until I, I had a child that I, deeply in my heart I, I understood this. Who he has children. Now for those who have children, and even those who don't have children, you'll be able to understand what I'm about to say. If you have a child, and that child, you give it everything that it could ever want. You take care of it. You protect it. You teach the child the right things. But yet the child grows up and, and one day starts doing what's wrong and starts doing bad things and, and, and even maybe even run away from home or, or whatever it may be. Do you stop loving your child? Parents, do you stop loving your children? You don't, do you? And when that child comes back, what happens in your heart? Are you angry or do you have joy that your child has come back? It gives you joy. That is the relationship that God has with us. We are His children. Why are we running away from our Father? Why are we running away from the one who, who wants to give us everything, who wants to shower us with blessings, who promises to always take care of us and protect us? Who promises that if we sin and we confess our sin, He is faithful and He is just and He will forgive. Brothers and sisters, if you feel like Zacchaeus, a little man who is full of sin, who is not worthy of God. Don't run away from God. Run to God. Because what happened to him will happen to you. If you open the door to your heart, Jesus will come in. And he will change the heart. He will redecorate the heart. Amen. He will change it. The Bible tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear. And if we ever fear and we ever have this doubt about God's love, it comes down to one thing and one thing alone. Brothers and sisters, it comes down to a lack of faith. Because if we had faith, true faith, we would believe every single promise that God has for us in His Word. This is a book of hope for the sinner. This book is a book of life for the dead. We need to spend more time with Jesus. Amen. We need to spend more time with this wonderful, amazing God who's just our Father that is just dying to spend time with us. You know, so many times when, when children become teenagers and they, you know, they, they, they start thinking that it's not cool to, to hang around with mom and dad so much and, and it breaks the parent's heart when they see the child doesn't want to spend time with you. How do you think it makes God feel when He sees His children not wanting to spend time with Him? It breaks His heart, brothers and sisters. And why would we break the heart of the only one who ever truly loved us? Of the only one who ever truly, truly had the best intentions for us. Who always protected us and took care of us. The book of Romans chapter 2 verse 4, the Bible says that it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. You know, Ellen White, she writes, and I want everybody to remember this. She says that if we were to spend an hour a day, she says that we should spend one hour a day thinking about the life of Jesus, especially those final moments before he died. 
And she's talking about when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was crying, when he was sweating blood, when he was going through all that pain and that suffering for you. She says that if you took an hour a day to think about his life, especially those final moments, you would not be living the same life that you're living today. Your life would change. You would be living differently because the truth is, brothers and sisters, that when you don't think about something, it has no effect on you. Do you know that? If you're not thinking about something, it doesn't affect you. You can know everything in the world, but if you're not thinking about it, it doesn't affect you. And I know this for a fact. For those who have had the experience in their their Christian walk, they've known there's been many times where they've done bad things. And and there's also been times where you've spent, you know, like for example, after you spend an hour in prayer with your brothers and sisters or an hour in Bible study, how easy or how hard is it for you to go and, and do the wrong thing? It's not that easy, is it? When you spend time with God, when you're thinking about Jesus, when you're thinking about his sacrifice, it's not that easy to go out and do the wrong thing. That's why she says we should spend time every day with Jesus, thinking about what he did for us, thinking about his sacrifice. And I guarantee that if you do this, your life will change. And not for the worse, for the better. We're going to finish in the book of Isaiah, chapter 41. The book of Isaiah, chapter 41. Isaiah chapter 41. I wasn't planning on doing this, but I, I think I, I might. I think the Lord's asking me to make a small appeal here this morning. That if there's anybody here this morning, brothers and sisters, who has been touched by the word of God today, that has realized, and don't ever forget, Zacchaeus was still a member of the church. He was still a Jew, wasn't he? He was still a son of Abraham, wasn't he? And he had done so much wrong. And he had done things that weren't right. But when he came to Jesus, he found that grace, that mercy, that love and forgiveness of Christ. And there might be some of us here this morning who who knows that deep in our hearts that there are things that we are doing or that we've done that we know are not right. That we have maybe even separated ourselves from God. That maybe we have done things that we shouldn't have done or maybe we're living in sin and this morning we have, we have seen that, that we, we, instead of running away from God, we need to run to God. That we know that God is, is there and He's saying simply to you, my son, my daughter, come home, come back to me. I love you so much. And this morning, I'm going to make an appeal that if you want to Just simply lift your hand up to God and ask God to take your hand and to take you back home and to forgive you and to give you the the restoration that you need in your heart. If you want to simply make that decision this morning to just say, Jesus, I know I've done wrong, but I'm not going to run away from you, God, because I know how much you love me. And if you just simply want to say, Lord Jesus, take my hand, I invite you to raise your hand. Raise that hand up to Jesus, brothers and sisters. And while your hand is raised in the air, I'm going to read to you a promise from God. Raise your right, if you can, raise your right hand, and you'll see why. For those who are raising their right hands right now, God has special words for you. Isaiah 41 and verse 13. He says, For I, 
the Lord your God will hold your right hand, saying to you, fear not, I will help you. Isn't that beautiful, brothers and sisters? That this morning Jesus Christ has said, God has said, I will take your hand. Do not fear, I will help you. I will help you. Brothers and sisters, we serve an amazing God. Amen. God is good. And all the time, brothers and sisters, may God bless you. Amen. This message was made available by The Preaching Place. For more resources like this, visit their YouTube page, Preaching Place AUS. From my new song collective, this is Carly Fletcher singing Simplify. Help me put aside my worries and my cares so I can know you, really know you. Lord, help me simplify.
Help me put aside my worries and my cares, so I can know you, really know you. But help me simplify. So as I start each brand new day. This is what I need to do to simplify, simplify, and spend my life with you. God tells us in Joshua one nine, "Have not I commanded you?" Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God is with you today, no matter where you go. And we're told in Psalm 16, verse 8, "I have set the Lord always before me, because He is at my right hand; I shall not be moved." Imagine God speaking these words directly to you. Do not be afraid. I'm with you wherever you go. How might this encourage you in different life circumstances, transitions you might be facing, like moving to a new home, starting a different job, experiencing a child move out of your home, or maybe even just another day at the office? Well, why not memorize one of these verses? Joshua one nine, Psalm sixteen verse eight, and let God remind you that He's with you right now and will continue to be with you every day for the rest of your life. So today, hide God's word in your heart, and remember, live your faith. Have a blessed day. This program has been brought to you by Three ABN Australia Radio.